Hey, I'm Allison Hare. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. I am a former high-performing corporate sales executive turned lifestyle entrepreneur, all intentionally by accident. In other words, I left my job last year on purpose, but I didn't have a plan. So I decided, let me figure out a new path as I go. And my goodness, we have brought some adventures towards clarity. And I guess you could say I've always been a late learner. You might be as well. And speaking of the show, Late Learner, this podcast promises to bring you game-changing ideas for when you're ready to grow past your past. That's the new tagline. What do you think? I like to say it's like when you've outgrown your container, you're feeling like you're either entering a new phase or you're ready to feel differently or you feel a little stuck in an old phase and you're just open to learning what's next. So again, welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's time for something new, my favorite. It's time for the surprising late learner fun fact. And did you know that listening to birds sing, birds singing, boosts your mood and mental well being for up to eight hours? Birds singing, eight hours. That's it. It's an actual study from King's College in London that came out last year. I'm linking the study in the show notes. So I'm going to help you out. Here's a little bit of bird singing because I want you to feel even better today. Make sure you keep listening to the end of this episode for another surprising late learner fun fact as I close each episode. So speaking of leaving my job, it has almost been a full year to the day that I left and I have learned as much as I've unlearned and wanted to give you my top takeaway today. I think it's going to be surprising and something that will leave you kind of thinking and reflecting on your own existence. And while I was prepping for what I was going to talk about, I asked my husband, honey, what do you think has changed about me over the past year? He did not even hesitate. He did not skip a beat. He just said, your moods. I was like, what? What do you mean? He said, well, crying fits, snapping at me and the kids. You're like a whole different person now. So I don't know. Thanks. But for context, I've been in technology sales for over 20 years and I've been a top performer. I've won incentive trips. I've made good money, supported my family together with my husband. I've worked for companies like ADP and Salesforce and DocuSign. And when I had my last day in the corporate world, it was April 22nd of last year, 2022. And on that day, my daughter and I were about to go to an all-night girls Girl Scout sleepover event at the Atlanta Zoo. I'm just going to let you let that sink in. It wasn't really how I wanted to celebrate my last day working in the corporate world, but whatever. I was hopeful to be a little more present for her her events going forward. So we got to do what we got to do. But before we left for the zoo, I remember once the clock ticked over 
to say 5 p.m. I put George Michael's song Freedom 90 on the Sonos speakers throughout my house at full blast. Freedom 90 as in 1990. It's been a while since that song. And if I had the money to get the rights to play that song, I would. But instead, I'm going to sing it for you. You ready? Freedom, I won't let you down. I will not give you up. Gotta have some faith in the sound. It's the one good thing that I've got. You remember that? And I sang it at the top of my lungs and I danced with my daughter. And of course, I was doing what any red-blooded, insecure girl would do. I was doing it on Instagram stories. I wanted to document the moment. It was so exciting. I did it. I quit, which was immediately followed with, oh shit, am I really doing this? And at the time, I was tired to the bone. So, so tired. I mean, you know, even looking back, I didn't realize how impactful it was, but I was tired. I was burned all the way out. Do you know this kind of exhaustion? Like, it's like a, a a spiritual exhaustion. Like the hamster wheel is always at full speed with so little margin to do anything except for whatever is on your calendar. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, am I really stepping off this? Am I going to be okay? Are we as a family going to be okay? Is this a terrible decision? Little did I know, this little tired ass was hopeful, but I would need to buckle up for what lies ahead. And I've shared and kind of documented a lot of this um, through this podcast. And for even more context and everything I share after this will make a lot more sense. When I was a teenager, my mother would tell me and my sisters constantly, never rely on a man to make money. Always make your own. My mom and dad had six kids together. And instead of pursuing her career, she had her children. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my mom beat this into me and my sister's heads because these are choices she wishes she would have made. And when my parents divorced, when I was around, I was around 17, we lost our house, my dad left the country, and my mom was left trying to pick up the pieces, not to mention str struggling with crippling depression that she had never experienced before and was a single mom without any professional experience. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things to kind of witness um, this happening, this cautionary tale that she would tell us. And, you know, as a young girl who is capable, who has the whole world at her feet, how do I do this differently? You know, and I told this story before. And when I was 12, I remember sitting in our family kitchen with my mom and I was sobbing. This was like a few years prior to this. And my mom said, Allison, what's wrong? And I said, mom, I am not good at anything. I wasn't the best at school. I wasn't the worst. I didn't like sports. I didn't want to practice music, which I actually had some aptitude for. I was solidly mediocre and I hated it. The only thing that lit me up was music, listening to music and watching endless MTV was like my preferred activity of choice. So when I went away to college and took my first voice and diction class, I felt like all the lights in my body flipped on. 
I had found my thing and I loved public speaking. And not only that, I could actually feel the room change when I was speaking. I didn't know if I was saying anything important, but I could feel it. I could feel a change. It was like on a cellular level. And so I, I found out that my, my, uh, my college had a shitty radio station. So I got my own show and I got DJ of the year three years in a row. It was something that just felt so alive. It felt so awakening to do this, even though I had no listeners and it was, you know, it was just whatever. It was just so exciting. So I graduated college with a degree in broadcasting and communications. And so when I left college, I wanted to work for this new wave alternative radio station. I don't even remember the call names, num- uh, name, but the number was 1067. It was down the shore in New Jersey, which is where I grew up. And so I sent, I've always been kind of creative with uh, opening doors, let's say, but I sent a stack of five pizzas with my demo tape on and my resume on top. And they called to thank me and kind of laughed at the gesture, but no dice for a gig. And I could tell you that demo tape was a complete shit show. And back then I was 21 and I realized a common thread since my mom said, I always thought a little left of center, not in the political sense, but that I just always thought a little differently, kind of like classic with a twist, I guess. And I had these dreams of pursuing radio and speaking on stages. And I've always been passionate about music and culture and understanding human behavior. And in fact, my original major before switching to communications was psychology. And at every turn of my career, I could have pursued something creative. I always had these creative inklings and these things kind of going on the side on off and on. But at every single turn, I took the safe route where I could make money instead. I always chose money over the creative side. And even now as I'm thinking through it, I'm thinking, how can I prove that I can make money doing something I love and be passionate about and show others how to do the same? Because I don't know that it has to be so binary, you know? And again, that phrase just kept coming back up. Never rely on a man for money. Always make your own. It still rings in my head. And, you know, when I was a teenager, that little workaholic was born. And it was always so important to me to be productive, to have somewhere to go, somewhere where I was expected and counted on to be a great employee, uh, have a way to make money to always be able to make more, you know, I've been in sales for a long time as a commissioned salesperson. So it's always been that hungry kind of uh, pursuit. And that's kind of embedded in me. My father was also a workaholic and also an immigrant entrepreneur. And there were times growing up where we had lots of money and times where he, his businesses kind of tanked and we lost and our lifestyle really vacillated back and forth between it. And, you know, kind of seeing that experience coupled with my mother's messaging, I always wanted to have some stability. And I always think that my father represented safety, security, and home. And my mother did everything else. And all of that felt like it could have been ripped out from under me if I didn't play my cards right. 
And I'm sure you're listening to this and your brain is thinking about these origins and thinking, oh, yes, this is starting to make sense. You might even have a similar story um, that kind of echoes in your brain as well. And another side note, my mother was always chronically late to everything and she loved to start projects. She was really, really creative and really wonderful at it but she didn't always finish them. And I know it ate her up inside her level of completion. And I absolutely hated, detested, abhorred waiting on my mom. To me and my judgment on her, and you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. this is different now, but in the moment, you know, my judgment on her was that she didn't have her shit together and that was never going to be me. So I became the commitment queen, always on time, even early. I always honor my uh, uh, commitments almost to a fault. Even today, I have a really hard time saying no, that if I commit to something, I'm, I'm going to do it. And uh, you never have to ask again. It's done. And I wore this like a badge of honor and overcommitted, not just to others, but to myself, almost like proof of worthiness. If I can keep going, if I can continually show that I am committed, that I'm a hard worker, that I am going to show up, I'm going to do more than other people, that I'm going to be rewarded by who, I don't know, who is they? Like, who is going to reward me? Who is they? And I, I think I say that because I think we all feel that somewhere of just that, you know, someday somebody is going to pluck me out of obscurity and uh, is going to hand me all the things that I'm striving for if I do the right things. And so it's kind of an interesting worth-based, almost like there's no win. There's no end point of this, you know? And so the thought of slowing down or stopping was like the equivalent of being thrown in a vat of acid, at least to me. And even to this day, I'm still kind of working through that. Who would I be if I wasn't the dependable, high-earning superwoman of a mom and the chick that could get more done before the rest of the world even thought about opening their eyes? And man, did I wear that proudly until it took over my body and mind where I couldn't stop. And, you know, you can insert many, many disorders and disordered eating and body dysmorphia, botched plastics, all of that. And you know what is so deeply embedded in this concept, and I bet you're listening to this and probably thinking, yeah, I, I may have figured this out, scarcity, that scarcity mentality, obviously the opposite of abundant or possible mentality. If I didn't do it, who would? If I don't do this now, my life falls apart. If I don't keep doing this, the whole house crumbles you know, and uh, like the foundation isn't strong enough. So I'm going to put a pin in that foundation thing because I think it is really important. I always kind of figured it. it's like I'm a shark, right? If you stop moving, you would die. So the number one lesson that I learned this past year, that I unlearned this past year, the number one lesson that I unlearned this past year, your worth is not wrapped in your earnings your title, or how productive you are. This is one I am deeply, deeply untangling still. And in fact, I'd be embarrassed if I counted up how much I've spent on therapy, 
coaches, retreats, psychedelic psychedelic assisted therapy, masterminds, podcasts, books, mental headspace, all to try and reverse this one. But I'm going to break this fallacy down for you. And I'll ask you the same question. I know you're a badass. I know you are. You wake up early too. You get the kids ready for school. You make sure you pack their lunches, that they don't forget their jackets. You uncrumple the homework that was shoved in the bottom of their backpacks with water spilled on it. You stuff them in the car with all their crap to get them off to school. You crush meetings all day at work. You're good at what you do. You've worked hard to earn the respect and authority that you have. You may not find it terribly fulfilling anymore, but it pays the bills and you've got a lot of them. Plus, you like nice things and nice vacations with the family. You have a lifestyle that you've become accustomed to. And, you know, the work day is going by. You look at your watch. You realize you're about to be late to pick up the kids from school and take them to their activities. So you run out the door. You put your mom and hat back on. You execute the activities, dinner, homework, get the kids to sleep and collapse in your bed and unwind with some wine and Netflix only to do it again tomorrow. Does this sound familiar? And what if you woke up and had nowhere to be? nothing to really do, and no one needing much from you. In some ways, it feels like, yeah, that sounds nice. Sign me up. That is a fantasy I would love to step into on some days. But as a lifestyle, I think for me, reflecting on this past year, we've always been a two-income family, and I purposely took one of those incomes away indefinitely, with no plan, no idea how or when uh, I would replace that income. All of my crystals and manifestation courses and psychics and advisors did not come through for me when I was looking for answers. And, you know, especially when I left for many months, really, I carried a lot of shame in watching my husband work at home while I would try and learn a new dance routine and my newfound spare time. You know, like I, I just felt like, is this frivolous? Is this, what am I doing? And I did countless episodes on mental rest, the laziness lies and walking through this portal of now what? But I did make one very smart decision when I first left. I wasn't going to make any decisions until further notice. That was my one decision. I wasn't going to pay any coaches, no mentors, no PR firms or agencies to expedite all the things that I'm trying to figure out. No looking for work until one very specific condition was in place. I needed to hear my own voice again. Because all I heard was all the cultural conditioning of you need to, you should, you should, you must, you are going to die unless you do X, right? And my goodness, it took a few months and boy, do I hear my voice now. And apparently so do you. Thanks for listening. It's funny. My daughter has been, uh, I think she learned what a fourth wall is and she would point out and say, ah, that's the fourth wall. But honestly, the biggest unlearning is to be instead of do. And I say that, and you might be rolling your eyes. I'm almost tap rolling my eyes because it is easier said than done. And, you know, it's one of those things that I tell that to my kids all the time now. Danny, my little 10-year-old, 
I love you more and more, no matter what you do. Even if you make a poor choice or if you say something mean, honey, you never have to earn my love. You just have it because you're you. And it's so easy to do this for our kids. It's so easy. And what if we could be that comforting and compassionate to ourselves? What a gift. But it's so hard, right? Like it is a practice. This is something that isn't what we're taught how to do. It is an unlearning of how to be kinder to yourself. And there's something weird about this humility, this false humility of, of diminishing ourselves and trying to find our flaws before somebody else does. And I think it's got to be flipped, you know? So let me unpack the fallacy here. You know, the culture kind of had a moment of years, a few years ago with the very proud, very bold hustle culture. And I think the pandemic threw all of that out of whack. We are still reeling. We are still trying to find a new footing. I know you are. This is a great redefining moment for you. The reason why I know this is because people who are listening to this podcast are typically people who are searching for ways to optimize and be uh, even better, even more sharp, you know, and I get it. The kids need to eat. They need to get to school. You need to work. You, you enjoy it. Maybe we are social creatures and we are craving real connection, but we're starving because our scales are so out of balance. So how do you possibly fix this? How do you find peace in the chaos of it all? Whether that chaos is your schedule or the hamster feverishly and relentlessly running through your brain. I bet you're thinking of this coming weekend and all the parties and plans and obligations already occupying space on your calendar and you're exhausted even thinking of the weekend and wondering when can I rest? And here's the truth. You can rest. You can be re-energized. You can restore the brightness of who you truly are. You are not lost. You are not broken. You aren't in an endless loop. What has happened is you have outgrown your container. You have moved past your past. That is why you feel that agitation in your body. That cognitive dissonance where you ask yourself, is this all there is? I mean, I work so hard to get here and I have so much to be thankful for. Why isn't it enough? Why am I not fulfilled. And it doesn't mean that you have to up and quit everything, but it does mean that you are in a fertile space to put on some new clothes that fit you better. The kind where you stand taller because you feel and feel like you look freaking awesome because they fit you right. It's almost like, I don't want to use the, the outgrowing your clothes, but it really is kind of that way. You've outgrown your space. And so you just need a new space that fits you better. One that is going to have a new set of rules, a new set of, not rules, a new set of standards that make more sense for you, that fit your lifestyle. Powerful. In other words, you're perfectly positioned to learn a new set of skills that fits who you are and where you're headed. Because the old way, the old clothes, as they say, just don't feel fresh and invigorating. It's like putting on that old, you know, pair of jeans that used to fit you great, but they're kind of ratty and they don't feel good anymore. 
or that dress that's kind of pilled up and doesn't really feel good. You crave and know you deserve more. So what do you do? Well, I'm going to give you a huge lesson I've learned this past year. And by the way, it is so much more accessible than you think. First, I want you to make a list of all the things that light you up. And yes, I'm serious. If you're sitting, grab a piece of paper or open up a Google Doc on your computer and I challenge you to list 25 things. If you're in the car, do a voice memo on your phone or voice to text. Just take five, 10 minutes, 25 things that light you up. Be wild. Don't worry about practicality or that you're not good at these particular things. In fact, I want you to eradicate the prefix, I'm not good at, and replace it with, I light up when I play piano, write, take my kids to the park, sing, knit, organize a drawer, have a girl's night with your favorite people, dance, go outside, hike, snowboard, curling up with an old book, do yoga, landscaping, pulling weeds. I love to pull weeds, crafting, macrame, volunteer for a favorite cause, sit and talk with your mom, enjoy a frothy matcha latte, basking in the sun in the park, petting your dog, wearing your coziest pajamas and slippers, having a deep and meaningful conversation with your children, going on a date with your husband or your spouse or your partner, getting a tattoo, buying crystals. I mean, 25 things that light you up, big or small, it doesn't matter. Just put it down there, almost like a word vomit. Just put it down there because here is what this does. First, it allows your brain to dream and it will not take long. Set a timer for 10 minutes and just write without judgment or thinking much through it all. And once these ideas, you'll find that it starts to come like a fountain once you start. And once these ideas are actually written down, not just in your head, the universe has a way of conspiring to help you turn those into a reality. But that doesn't take the stuff you've got already on your plate off yet, but it starts to prepare your mind for new possibilities. And once you do that, here is the real goal. My goal not only for you, but for myself, is to recalibrate where you are the center of everything that you do, not in an egocentric way, but in a grounded and rooted way. Just like a tree, your trunk is strong, your roots are deep, and your branches are flexible enough to draw what you need to you and push away what doesn't. And that's what I mean by rooted. It makes it much easier to let go of some of the commitments that you feel are so important because nobody else will do it. Because when you're grounded, when you're rooted, you have so much less tolerance for the bullshit. And because it's not lighting you up, you have far better clarity when you add in stuff that's going to light you up. So I always like the, the phrase, crowd out the bad. So, and I'm not saying all this stuff is bad, but you know what I mean? Crowding out the bad by adding in more good. You're sprinkling in more of what lights you up. That's where the cracks that you have, I call them fractures of light, start to open up from this container that is split open because you've just outgrown it and that light gets brighter and brighter. And in fact, and so this is a way to get back to center, back to your essence, back to what lights you up. 
I'm going to be talking a lot more about these principles as we move forward. And in fact, I'm building an entire program around it. I'm very excited. And I'm, I am, uh, I'm building a membership that will include all of these principles into action. Um, and having retreats and all kinds of stuff where this is going to be kind of an all-encompassing way to help you move through that. And so before that membership is there, I have created a very small curated group of high-performing professional mothers. I've created a mastermind and it's called the Effective Collective. Do you like that name? I only have a few spots left and it's starting soon. If this is speaking to you, Make sure you apply very soon at allisonhair.com forward slash collective. And let's see if it's a fit. There is no pressure uh, to doing this, but if you are kind of curious, let's talk for a few minutes and see if it makes sense. It is three months. The focus is on regenerating your natural energy sources, deepening your most important relationships, and reclaiming your time in a way that feels aligned and most importantly, sustainable. And the best part, I have a money back guarantee. This is how serious I am that this process can make a huge impact for you, this framework. So again, if this is speaking to you, let's chat. Allisonhair.com forward slash collective. So let's do this. I can't wait to see what you do once you make that list of 25 things that light you up. I would love to hear about the shifts that happen. If you have some friends you want to do this with, please share this episode. Tag me in your socials if you find it helpful to you. I always appreciate when you take 30 seconds out of your day and write a review on Apple Podcasts or rate five stars on Spotify or CastBox or wherever you listen. Make sure you stay tuned for upcoming episodes because y'all are going to want to buckle up for some of the guests I have coming your way. And here is the surprisingly useful late learner fun fact number two to close out the show. You know how they say it takes 21 days to form a habit? It's actually not built on any data or science. Can you believe that? I don't know where that 21 days to form a habit came from. And a new study from the California Institute of Technology, which was the first ever project to use machine learning to study habit formation. So they plugged in all kinds of variables and analyzed large data sets. And what it shows is that there is no magic number at all, which to me is super exciting because it opens the possibility of not setting yourself up for failure when you're measuring arbitrary benchmarks that aren't proven. For example, the researchers studied gym habit formation. I know if you're interested in being a uh, fit, uh, fitness and being more active and certain variables like time of day, had no effect at all on habit forming. But one factor, one's past behavior did come into play. 76% of gym goers, the amount of time that had passed since a previous gym visit was a key predictor of whether that person would return. So if working out and being active is a goal of yours, try your best to keep your visits as close to each other as you can so you can continue to string those to create a habit. So I'm linking this study and the first fun fact on the bird singing in the show notes. 
Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. 